welcome to the Healthy Seas Podcast, a show about what we need to do to have just that, healthy seas and a healthy future. I'm your host, Crystal DiMicelli, and in each episode, we talk about the problems facing the seas and oceans and the solutions we have to fix them. Come on in, the water's fine. On today's episode, I'm joined by a remarkable guest, Dr. Elena Lara, a marine biologist and research manager at the UK-based charity Compassion in World Farming. Her work revolves around advocating for the welfare of aquatic animals, with a particular focus on octopuses. Compassion in World Farming is an organization that's dedicated to peacefully eliminating factory farming practices and has been at the forefront of this mission for half a century. Dr. Lara's contributions are marked by her extensive research, numerous scientific publications, and in-depth reports, shedding light on octopus farming and the European aquaculture industry. Join us as we delve into the fascinating world of octopuses and the important work being done to protect their well-being. Hi, Dr. Elena. Thank you for joining me today. Hello. Thank you for inviting me. Let's start by, can you tell me about the intelligence of octopuses? And actually, let me take a step back. Would you say octopi or octopuses? I always use octopuses, but I know that we cannot say use octopi. But I feel comfortable, you know, using the word octopuses because I've seen this word used in scientific journals, scientific papers. So I think that we are safe here saying octopuses. <laughs> okay, great. So I've actually heard it both ways and it's yeah. not even clear on the internet. So thank you for clarifying that. So can you tell me about the intelligence of these animals and what sets them apart from other marine creatures in terms of their cognitive abilities? Well, I think that octopus are amazing animals and they have shown to be very intelligent and proved to have cognitive abilities. But here, let me also say something. I also would like to mention that other marine animals have also amazing behaviors. But I think that we do not appreciate them as much as land animals because we don't interact with them. So, yes, I agree. Octopus are amazing, but we need to think also about other marine creatures as, as also as amazing animals. But yeah, well, regarding your question, it's true that octopus are very intelligent and this is demonstrated by scientific evidence. I mean, it's not just that we say it, it's the science that proves that these animals are intelligent and they have amazing cognitive abilities. So to mention some of them, for example, we know that octopus have long and short memory. They show deception. They can distinguish between individuals. They recognize other individuals and they are able to use tools and octopus are able to learn some tasks that other individuals are performing. It's what it's called social learning. So if they see another octopus performing a task, they can learn from what the other one is doing, which is quite impressive. If you want, I can give some examples. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you, you said they use tools. In, in which way? Yeah, for example, in the wild, they have seen like use coconuts, for example, to protect themselves using them as a den. So they can they can use it like a mobile house or a mobile den. Or like they'll put it over themselves? Yeah, exactly. 
And also they use these coconut shells to protect against predation. So it's a tool that they use to avoid to be predated by another animal. But also they can solve problems. And when you say problem solving, do you have an example of that? Well, do you mean in the wild or in captivity? Because problem solving has been mainly demonstrated in captivity, where octopus have put like in experiments to prove the level of their intelligence or what they are able to do. Mm, such as? Such as, for example, you know, like octopus in tanks, when some investigators have put like bottles, jars with, for example, feet inside, and they try to test what the animal is able to do to get the feet that it's inside. And they are able to open the jars, the bottles, and distinguish and open the jars or the bottles that the feed that they are more keen to that. You know, so for example, they are going to spend oh. time opening a bottle or a jar if the feed that they're inside is attractive to them. They are not going to spend time to solve the issue if something is inside that they don't like it. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. And and were they shown how to open the jars before or is it something they figured it out on their own? They figured it out in their own. Exactly. It's something that it's a trial that you are putting to them. It's new to them. And they, with time, of course, and also testing how to do it and learning from the mistake, at the end, they are able to do it. Okay. So... I, I mentioned in the introduction that this is an animal that has become one of my favorites, and it's from the movie My Octopus Teacher, which I, I'm sure many people have seen. And if you haven't, it's such a beautiful movie. And so in that movie, you could see also that they have a playfulness and a curiosity. Do you have examples of how that manifests in their behavior and the interactions they engage in? Yeah, I can mention some um, some behaviors, but also I would like to mention that when we talk about play, it's a trait that shows intelligence. And I think it's important to take that into account because it's always have been thought that play, it was something that we can just assign to mammals or vertebrates. Because as I mentioned, play is considered to be a, a product of high developed brain and and of course, related to high intelligence. So octopus is an invertebrate animal. And I think that it's the only one invertebrate, or at least, you know, the cephalopods, that octopus is part of cephalopods. That can are... you quickly, for, for those who might not know, can you quickly explain invertebrate and cephalopod? I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Cephalopods? Yeah, of course. Like in a very simple way. Vertebrate, it's the animals that have vertebrate column. You know, like um, spine. and invertebrates do not have like the the column, the vertebrate column, the spine. The sp exactly, the spine. Thank okay. you. Uh -huh. Exactly, vertebrates has a spine, and invertebrates <laughs> don't do not have a spine. And cephalopods, it's a group of animals, mollusks that that are like octopus are are cephalopods, squids are cephalopods, and cuttlefish are cephalopods. Okay, so. Octopus has been shown kind of the only one invertebrate that it's able to play. And this playful behavior has been mainly demonstrated when they are in captivity, of course, because it's when we challenge them, you know, like with new objects, with something that they have never seen. So they show this like curiosity behavior and what they can do with them. So when you put a new object in a tank and the octopus, the first thing that we'll do, it's just mm, a big very curious about it and 
and it's looking at it, wondering what this object is doing, what I can do with them. And at the end, after they figure it out that it's not aggressive or it's not something that it's dangerous, you can see that the octopus can play, interact with the object, like using, for example, its jet to move it around the tank or playing with the water and the object. So this, this have seen in captivity with these animals, which is quite surprising. Especially from an animal that you wouldn't think has the ability necessarily to think in such an advanced way. And correct me if I'm wrong, they are colorblind, right? Yeah, they are. Which is quite amazing because they are masters at camouflage. I mean, they turn all sorts of colors and patterns and textures. How does that work for them? How, how are they able to do that? Well, they are able to do that because they have a tiny organs or cells in their skin that it's called, let me see if I say it right in English, it's a chromatophores, chromatophores, yeah. So they have millions of these cells in their body, in their skin, and, and these cells are controlled by the brain. So these chromatophores, they have pigments in their cells. Each of these cells has this tiny sac filled with pigments that is red, orange, brown, yellow, black, all the colors. And by stretching or squeezing these, these cells or these sacs of colors, they can rapidly change the brightness of the, of the colors. And it's why they are able to change the color and texture of the skin. It's thanks to these cells. But also they use this ability to communicate between octopuses, you know, between, between communicate between them in a visually way. So this is very, it's quite amazing. So even though they're colorblind, they still communicate in a visual way. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. So, amazing. And have scientists figure out how, like, how do they choose the color? Because if they're colorblind, how are they able to determine I mean, this is a very big question. I think that scientists are still figuring it out and, okay. you know, doing research <laughs> to do that. But it looks like these cells, because the nervous system of the octopus, it's not just conducted by the brain. It's also like in the entire body, you know, also in their arms mainly. So I think that where we are trying to understand, well, the scientists are trying to understand this complex system and how the cells can know about the surrounding of the animal. It's why these animals are so incredible and it's so different from us. It's why it's so difficult to understand also because their anatomy works completely different as, as we do. So they don't have one central brain and then nerves that come from the brain is what you're saying. Exactly. They have a brain as we do, but also they have different nervous system in each of their arms. So you will say that these animals at the end has nine brains. And they work independently from one another, or they can? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they can work independently. Wow. Incredible. Mm -hmm. These animals are obviously very fascinating and complex, and we have so much to still learn about them. And in 2021, the UK recognized that octopuses are sentient due to scientific studies that showed that they can feel pain and they can suffer. Other than that recognition in an animal welfare bill, has anything been done to protect them further because they're considered sentient? 
Yes, I mean, they are considered sentient because, you know, several scientific papers have already do experiments proving that these animals can feel pain, suffer. And UK has done this big step to recognize as sentient. I think it's this is the first country that recognized this, but there's another national legislation that protect them. We know that, for example, you mentioned UK, but there's also Norway that in their Welfare Act, octopus are protected. And in Switzerland, the welfare legislation, octopus are included. And, and at the European level, I think that we need to, I mean, when octopus are used for scientific purposes or, or, or yeah, they, they are protected by the European law. So they recognize that these animals are sentient or can suffer in experimental trials. So the European legislation protect them. The different thing, it's like these animals are going to be only protected in this field, in the research field. But when we go, like, for example, on fisheries or farm animals, these animals are completely uh, unprotected. Mm. Okay. And I want to get into the farming in just a minute, but what's an experiment that's used to demonstrate that they're sentient? Like, how, how do we know that? I mean, to demonstrate that an animal is sentient, you need to take into account the behavior, how they interact with nature or with other animals, but also the ability to feel pain and suffer. So what scientists have done, for example, I think that they, they put acetic acetic in the animal, so damage the animal somehow with some acids, and the, you need to check how the animal reacts the behavior and also like the hormonal and nervous response of the animal. And when they do that, they have seen that the octopus react in a way that they are feeling pain, not just for their behavior, but also for the hormonal and nervous responses that they have to that stimuli. And then what they do also, like it's like administrate painkillers you know, to the animal. At first, they administrate the acid, they observe the reaction, and then they give the animal painkillers. And they, they see how the animal reacts to the painkillers, how the behavior changes. So at the end, you are proving that this animal with this damaging stimuli, it's reacting as we will do, you know, like with a behavior and physical response to the pain. And then when you give them a painkiller, it's like you can see also like the, the, the pain is alleviated for, again, physical and behavior responses. And I think I remember reading something that they avoided that pain stimulus. They mm -hmm. learned that object or whatever it might be caused pain, and so they learned to avoid it. Exactly. And does it also mean that they experience let's say happiness, for example. Exactly. That's a very good question, you know, because we always uh, like focus on the, on the pain or on the suffering. But I think that it's very important to consider that these animals also at the same time can feel joy, can, you know, enjoy their lives. So we need to take both into account. It's not just the harm that we can do them, but also to allow them to express their behaviors and, the joy that they take from that mm -hmm. that they that they have good welfare exactly the positive welfare it's called yeah the positive welfare because you could remove all of the the stimuli that cause pain or suffering but that still is not good animal welfare if they're unhappy exactly <laughs> lack of a better exactly. way of putting it yes and i feel like that's starting to be slowly more recognized when it comes to animals in captivity, that animals need enrichment and the opportunity to 
do their natural behaviors and whatnot. But that's a, that's another discussion for another day. I actually want to focus in now on octopus farming because that's been in the headlines a lot lately. What are the main proposals for octopus farms? Well, the I mean, right now there's one proposal in, at European level. It is Spain, who the country that wants to open the first whole octopus farm in the Canary Islands. And yeah, the proposal of this farm, it's now on paper. It's something that the company has sent to the Spanish government and the Canary Islands government, of course. And the plan, it's like this new farm will produce 3,000 tons of octopus per year, where it's around 1 million of animals. And right now we are waiting for the Canary Islands government approval. And yeah, and let's see, and let's see what, what happens here. Yeah. And so to date, all the octopuses that we see in restaurants or supermarkets are from the wild? Yeah, all of them are wild caught. Okay. And why is this so controversial? I mean, we have farming of so many other animals, for better or for worse, but why has this become controversial? Well, I think that one of the main points is that these animals are very intelligent and solitary animals in nature. So it's quite cruel to put them in intensive conditions. But I think that for me, the controversial thing, it's like um, right now we have animals that are intelligent, that suffer and are in bad conditions in intensive farms. And we should learn from that and not put another animal that it's not suitable for farming and intensive conditions in the same situation. We know that octopus are solitary animals in in nature, so this does not fit within very high stocking densities in intensive farms. We know so they would all be together in tanks. Exactly, high stocking densities, a lot of individuals in the same tank, and we know that these animals are solitary, territorial, and they will suffer in these conditions. So. I think this is one of the reasons we should not put one animal that it's not suitable for farming conditions in. I've al- yeah, I think I've ahead. also read that. I, I'm sorry. I think I think I've also read that when they're together, they attack one another or they eat their own limbs. Yeah, they feel so stressed for this situation to be uh, overcrowded in tanks that they they develop this behavior, the cannibalist behavior, attack between each other. And if they feel really, really stressed, they can eat themselves. You know, it's, they, they, it, it's really bad. I mean, it's horrible. So we should not go in that way at all. With all these animals being taken from the wild as of right now, that's also quite impactful. What is, what is their status? Do you know in terms of how they are doing in the wild? I mean, we know that we have overexploited the octopus wild populations, but I think that farming them is not the solution. Also, because if we are trying to protect the marine environment or the marine populations, farming octopus is not the solution because octopus are carnivorous animals. So this is a very big environmental issue in the sense that in order to feed octopus in farms, you will need to cut a lot of fish, wild fish, to feed octopus. So it's completely unsustainable. So you are not going to solve the pressure that we have already in our oceans, putting carnivorous animals in farms, because you, you need to continue fish in the oceans to feed the carnivorous animals that you have in farms. 
you know, you de you're decreasing wild fish stocks to to feed this intense um, farming system farming of, of yeah yeah mm -hmm. which makes no sense at all if we really want to solve the overexploitation situations that we have in our oceans we don't have to farm carnivorous animals because we are going to need to continue fishing to maintain the production system of these farms whether wild or farmed once these animals are taken to be eaten there's been also controversy on their slaughter how are they normally killed and what's the, well what's the problem with that for a lack of a better way of stating it <laughs> yeah <laughs> well right now there's not a humane method to to slaughter these animals so they are suffering in the wild because we use very cruel methods but in the farms, they are going to be in the same situation, which for me makes no sense that we are planning a farm that it's going to produce one million animals per year. And we don't have a humane method. So we know that all these animals are going to suffer a very slow and painful death. The plan... How are they... What do they usually do? I mean, the plan for the farm is to kill them, introducing them in tanks full of water and ice. So it's what it's called ice slurry. In, in aquaculture. So they introduce the animals to these tanks at very cold temperatures and they experience a prolonged death because in this situation, the animal do not die or it's not stunned. The animal, what happens is the metabolism of these animals decreases, but they are still able to feel everything that's in and realize about everything that is happening. So it's a very cruel method. They're freezing to death, essentially. Exactly, for a prolonged time. You know, it's not that it's a quick death. And other legislation for other farm animals, the specific mention that all the animals that we farm needs to die, like, you know, being conscious immediately and die quickly. And this is not going to happen for octopus. They can't be stunned in the same way other animals can be? Right now, there's not any scientific method to humane kill them or, or stun them. So we think that if there's not method to humane kill them, this farm should be stopped. There's no way, you know, to do this in a humane way. Right. Yeah. I mean, they suffer for their entire lives and then they suffer in their death too, which, I mean, really at the end of the day, you don't want to, that also produces these hormones and chemicals within your body. And and then we're going to be eating that animal that had all of these stress hormones. That's also probably another yeah. discussion for another day. Mm. But is, is there any, I mean, ideally we wouldn't farm them, but are there any suggestions on better ways of doing this? I don't think that, uh, for me, it's very clear. Octopus, it's an species that it's not suitable for farming. And then we should not do it. You know, there's other species that we could focus to farm that maybe are more social or are not carnivorous or are like methods of to humane to kill them. So we could be investing time and resources in a better way. And octopus, for me, it's very clear that it's not a species that has to be in that condition. So it's clear for me that this is done for economic profit, not because we are looking for the right species to put in aquaculture systems or that can help to improve food security or are going to do some ecological service for us, you know, or nothing. It's just for me, it's economical profit. We are not looking at anything else here.
And what can the listener do to help? Well, the listener, if um, there's several uh, petitions right now online that uh, people can sign and add their names. Also, the other thing that it's is your social media to talk about this issue. There's several articles that you can mention in social media that share so people know more about this issue and what's happening in Spain. Right now, we need to increase the public awareness. And then we are thinking also, like, which are the next actions? There's some protests also in Spain at international level that have happened and people can join some actions like in social media that we can do, like share. From the NGO's perspective, we are also working on that, talking with politicians, MEPs, and collaborating between NGOs to stop this project. Do you have links to these petitions or the hashtags that would be best used? Can you share those with me so that I can put them in the show notes for people to have their say and petition against these farms that are being created? Dr. Elena, thank you for joining me today. This was very informative. Thank you for inviting me. It has been a pleasure. Thanks for diving into the Healthy Seas podcast with me. I'm your host, Crystal DiMicelli, and I was just chatting with Dr. Elena Lara of the organization Compassion in World Farming. If you want to learn more about the organization, head on over to ciwf.org or follow their campaigns through social media. And if you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and review it on your favorite podcasting app. I'll catch you next time. Healthy Seas is a nonprofit on a journey from waste to wear. Founded in 2013, the organization aims at reducing marine litter caused by lost fishing gear through cleanup, prevention, and education activities. The nets collected by Healthy Seas are subsequently reused and recycled and used by its partners for the creation of new products.